Hey, you're listening to Blue Jean Church's podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. To learn more about Blue Jean Church in Selma, Alabama, visit us at www.bluejeanselma.com. So let's get let's get into the into the word here. Um, I'm excited for uh, this morning. I'm so glad to see some of y'all there. Chuck, what's up, baby? I'm so glad some of y'all are here, and uh, and I think the most important thing is not that I'm here or that I have the microphone, but that God's here. Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you in like never before. Come and dwell in our midst, Lord, the same way that you hovered over the earth at the beginning. Descend right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Anoint us, Lord, so that we can speak what you want us to speak, hear what you want us to hear. God, our words have no power except for when they come from you. And so right now, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you for what you have in store for us. Come in like never before, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'll turn with me in your Bible to Acts chapter 24. And I'll be reading out of the NIV this morning, um, but... If you have the NIV and access to it, that would be great, but anything else works as well. Now, let me set you up a little bit before we get into the scripture. Where we're going to pick up is uh, deep in Paul's ministry. By this point in Acts, Paul has not only had his encounter on the road to Damascus and given his life to Jesus, but he is deep in his ministry. He's taken the gospel and carried the gospel into Asia Minor and even into Europe. And right before we get to to Acts 24, he has returned to Jerusalem knowing well what would happen to him because when he showed up, a mob of his own people, the Jewish people, beat him and tried to kill him, but he was arrested by Romans. Where we pick up in Acts 24 is that he has just been sent before a governor in the area, the Roman governor in the area named Felix. Now, Felix... This, by the way, is going to be the first of many trials that he goes through before he ends up eventually in Rome. Yeah, before I tell you a little bit about this guy, let's get, let's get in here and read this thing. So I'm going to pick up in verse 22. And so Acts 24, verse 22. Then Felix, the governor, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When somebody, the commander, comes... He said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit, his, and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul talked about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe. So he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by somebody else. But because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison. You know, I want to talk with you this morning about the mess- a message titled, Inconvenient Truth. What we find here, this is the only time that this guy Felix is mentioned in Scripture. And let me tell you a little bit about this guy. Non-biblical sources tell us that Felix was known for corruption. A few years before this had happened, this moment in particular, he had paid and bribed people to go into the temple, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, and kill the high priest in the temple. Why? Because the high priest had threatened to expose his corruption. So in order, if you're, if you're corrupt, the best way to cover that up is to increase your corruption, right? No, but that was the right idea, that, that was Felix's idea. And so this is the background of who this guy is. But in this moment, He is sitting with his wife, receiving personal ministry from one of the greatest evangelists in the history of the church. Think about it. 
Paul himself is, stand, is sitting right there with Felix and with Drusilla, Felix's wife. And we'll get to Paul in a minute, but let's talk about what happened to Felix when he heard the gospel. The NIV says it this way, that as Paul spoke, Felix was, quote, afraid. Other, other, verses, other versions, the ESV says that he became alarmed. The NLT says that he became frightened. The Greek word for this is emphobos, meaning literally phobos, fear, and em, meaning within. That means that Felix literally, when he heard the gospel in that moment, preached from the word from the mouth of Paul, he became fear within him, built up and, and, and started to boil up inside of him. Our way of saying that might be conviction. The Holy Spirit convicted Felix in that moment. He heard the gospel, realized that he was a sinner, and he became afraid. Jesus told us that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. All of us, morning. All of us have had a point in our lives where we have realized our own uncleanliness and realized that we were, we needed the Holy Spirit to come in and help us. Felix had his moment right here. And this is a moment for the evangelists that are in the house, which by the way, is anyone who has a heart for the lost who wants to carry the gospel out and share it. But the Bible tells us this, and this secret blew my mind when I started to understand it, because when we really understand this verse, we will never again judge anyone for being an unbeliever or have hatred in our heart for them being an unbeliever or frustration for them. Because listen to this. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that the God of this age, i.e. the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. What does that mean? That means that everyone either sees the light of the gospel or they are blinded by the enemy to not be able to see it. If we think about that every time that we meet somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, we will have a heart for them because it's not that they are rejecting it, but it's that the enemy is blinding them to the light. But in this moment, we see that Felix, for one moment, one second, the Holy Spirit removed the veil, removed that blindness that the enemy had been blinding him with for his entire life. I remember when that moment happened for me. I've told you all about it so many times, I don't need to retell it right now. It happened in Ecuador. When I realized that God was real, and I realized how amazing and powerful and loving and holy he was, and I realized that I had not been that way. That was my moment of conviction, and it changed my life forever. This right here was Felix's moment. The veil got moved away. Felix heard the gospel, saw the light in the gospel, and understood in that very moment the glory revealed in Christ Jesus. How did he respond? Lord, have mercy. When he became convicted, he said this, that's enough for now. You may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. Y'all, this is the last time that we hear about Felix in the scripture. It says that when two years passed, his term ended. He got replaced as governor. We have no idea what happened to him after this point in his life. But y'all, what I'm thinking about and what God was really speaking to me and moving in my heart is this. How many times have I used that excuse when God has moved something and prompted me in my heart? 
when I've said, let me wait till I find it convenient, Lord. Let me wait until a convenient opportunity. I was thinking specifically, well, let me share, let me share this testimony first. Because this moment is, we don't like talking about this in the church, but we, ha- we have to because it's part of the gospel. Now, and this is, again, good for equipping anyone, any evangelist in the house, which is this. The Bible tells us that God wants, not, he doesn't want anyone to perish, and he wants every single person to come to repentance. Every single one. That's 2 Peter 3, verse 9. The Bible also tells us that God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4. In other words, God wants every human being on earth to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and receive salvation. So if we ever go out on the street and we wonder, Lord, do you want, do you want to save this person? The answer is always yes. If you go to a place and, and people are living in sin and you say, God, reveal to me which one you want to receive salvation. The answer is all of them. He wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. But let's be, let's be, let's be real, y'all. The Bible tells us that, and this is a, this is a beautiful thing. The Bible tells us, Jesus told us that hell was created, and I know, I know we're talking about this, it's unspoken, we don't talk about it, but it's real. And one of the greatest ways that the enemy blinds the minds of unbelievers is by convincing them that when we die, everything goes black and nothing happens after that. That's a lie from the pit of hell, because heaven and hell exist, and we find out about how things operate, not only in the book of Revelation, but throughout. But Jesus told us that hell was prepared was, quote, an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Let me tell you something. Hell was not created for human beings. The way that God designed this system, there should not be a single human being that ends up with their soul in hell. Not one. God wants everyone to be saved. Every single person wants to be saved. And he made hell not for us, but only for the devil and his angels. But we read in Revelation, in chapter 20, verse 15, and Dan, I thought it was funny you were talking about that this morning. Amen. Thank you for your class. And uh, it says in Revelation 20, verse 15, that anyone whose, names, whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Y'all, it's real. That judgment is real. The first judgment is real. In this moment, Felix had the most important decision of his life presented right in front of him. He, for the first time, saw the, the, light, of the, the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ. He understood that that was real. And he made a choice to go this way. I heard Reiner Bonnke tell a story one time that I want to share with you. He was preaching, it was early in his ministry, and he was preaching in somewhere in Europe. And he says that he stood up and he preached and absolutely nothing happened in the congregation. It was like he was preaching to the walls. He wondered if he had completely failed, all of that stuff. Afterwards, he was at the door saying bye to people and blessing them as they left. And the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and said, there is a woman behind you who needs to receive Jesus, who needs to receive me as their Lord and Savior tonight. Bonky turned around, looked, and knew exactly which woman that, that the Holy Spirit was talking about, walked up to her. She was a, a young woman, walked up and said, the Holy Spirit said to me that you need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior tonight. She started weeping. And she said, I know. And he said, well, let's, let's go through the process. And she said, I can't. And he said, you, you can't? I don't get it. She said, she's still crying. She said, my boyfriend hates Jesus. And so I can't give my life to him. And she refused to budge and she left. The next morning, Bonky was sitting at his, bre- at, at his hotel having breakfast when one of his aides came in and said, Pastor, we need you. 
there's been a major accident outside and we need you out there. He went outside and the woman from the night before had been struck by a car and killed. He said that that moment shifted his entire mindset about the urgency of preaching salvation and, and offering salvation to people and to unbelievers. Y'all, in this moment, the same way that that woman had her moment, Felix had his moment right here. But it's not just... Let's, let's look now at the example of Paul, of the two people we have here in this story. And by the way, if you look even in the text, we read that what happened to Felix after he made this choice. After he made this choice, what did he keep doing? He kept living in the same life as a slave to sin that he had lived before. The Bible says that, what did he do? He was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, i.e. he continued in his corruption. Why did he keep Paul in prison? He wanted to grant a favor to the Jews. He was thinking about the same elements of governmental corruption that had afflicted him and brought him to this point in this place anyways. He, in that moment, had had a choice to remain a slave to sin or discard that and scrap that and give his life to Jesus. And we see the evidence of which choice he made. Why did he do it? Because he thought the timing was inconvenient. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why he thought it was inconvenient. Maybe he thought about what people, what his family would think about him if he had given his life to Jesus. Maybe he was worried about losing his position as governor if he gave his life to Jesus. Maybe he was worried about losing money if he gave his life to Jesus. We don't know why he thought it was inconvenient. All we know is that he missed that opportunity with that as his excuse. Now let's look at the example of Paul. Y'all, if there was anybody in this situation where the timing was inconvenient, it was Paul. Paul literally had just gone back to Jerusalem, been beaten by his own people, arrested by the people, the, govern, the, gov, the government that he himself was a citizen of. He was mocked, ridiculed, and now he's standing before this governor. If there was anybody who had a right to be depressed and sad, it was Paul. And yet, how did Paul respond? In this moment, being before the governor, what did he do? He preached the gospel. He preached the true gospel about faith in Jesus Christ. Look at what it says. It says that Paul spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. He talked about righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. In other words, he talked about righteousness, what makes us right with God, i.e. what allows for us to, to go through that and miss that first judgment, the only thing that does is belief in Jesus Christ. And that's what he preached. What did he preach second? Second, he preached self-control. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And so in other words, he preached the holiness that comes with the Holy Spirit when we get filled with the Holy Spirit. And third, he preached about the judgment to come. Y'all, he did not hold back any, any cards. He preached the true gospel the way that it is and the way that it was. He did not hold anything back in this moment. It was inconvenient for him to share the gospel, but he did it. Oh, God, make us like Paul and not like Felix in the name of Jesus Christ. Make us, God, uh, uh, be willing to go when it seems inconvenient and to obey you when it seems inconvenient and not to, Lord, always focus on our own convenience and what looks good to us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Y'all think about that beautiful. I mean, we could, we could do an entire lesson here uh, for, for evangelists about what the gospel and the true gospel looks like. It looks like righteousness, self-control, and judgment to come. It looks like salvation, holiness, and judgment. Judgment, by the way, I'm not just talking about uh, unbelievers. I'm talking about for believers when we get rewarded for the works that we do. And we could talk more about that another time. Now, okay, I've got two examples now for you. I've got one, one bad and one good, okay? I'll give you the bad one first. About a month ago, I was uh, at my house, and I felt like something wrong had happened, and I was kind of upset about it. And I blamed, I blamed the enemy for doing it. 
And I said, you know what? I'm going to make the enemy pay a price today. I'm going to go out and I'm going to find one person in Selma that doesn't know Jesus and I'm going to preach the gospel to him. I left my house and I went to my car. I got in my car and the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, go to the St. James Hotel. Now it was right around dusk. It was, the light was kind of fading. Y'all, I put my windows down and I drive to the St. James Hotel and I kind of do like that slow roll past. Okay, now it looks a little sketchy, but you know, I scared, I scared you doing that last night, but anyways, I'm slow rolling by and y'all, there was a, a woman outside of the St. James Hotel completely out of place. I don't know why she was out of place, but I knew it the second I saw her. She was standing outside by herself, just looking for something. When I started going by, I, I was looking for her, and I found out that she was looking for me because when, she, when I drove by, she made eye contact with me and spoke to me with her eyes and said, I need help. She was looking for something, and the Holy Spirit had sent me to give it to her. I parked my car, and I was absolutely terrified. I went around the back of the St. James for some reason, because I'm awkward, okay? And then I came around the front of the St. James, and, and I was kind of hoping that that woman would no longer be there. But there she was. And I saw her from about 100 yards away, and I think she saw me from 100 yards away, and both of us were like, oh, crap. Okay? And I started walking towards her, and <laughs> I was walking towards her, and when I started getting close, she looked at the ground like this and kind of turned away. And y'all, I went right past her, never said a word to her, went to my car, got in my car and said, God, please give me another one. I had decided in my heart, I thought about what it would look like being a, a young man going up to talk to a woman outside the St. James Hotel. I wondered who might see me and wonder what my intentions were. I was wondering, maybe I had fear about what she th might think my intentions were. It was, I decided in that moment that it was inconvenient for me to do the job the Holy Spirit had sent me to do and that I had asked for. And y'all, I got about halfway to Walmart before I pulled over my car and started pouring tears down my face because I realized who knows whether I prayed that God would send somebody else who was more obedient, but I realized that I had failed and I had lost my opportunity. That was a lesson I learned, but I didn't do like Paul. I didn't obey and do what I was supposed to do in that moment. That's what I'm talking about. How many times, and I could give you a million other times when I missed doing what I was supposed to do because it seemed inconvenient. But okay, now before, before y'all, you know, I was raised Irish Catholic and Irish Catholics are, you know, renowned for, you know, beating themselves with sticks and stuff because of their mistakes. I'm not here to do this. Let's end on a happy note, okay? I don't always fail miserably like that, Cody, okay? So let's, let's talk about an example where I experienced following God in something that was inconvenient and finding out the good results that happened. Now, about... Two and a half years ago, at the start of the pandemic, I was locked in a house in Boston by myself, well, actually with my family, and couldn't go anywhere. We were on full lockdown. It was very crazy up there. And I read a book by a traveling uh, missionary. And when I read this book by this missionary, a seed was planted in my heart to go on an overseas missions trip. Now, I had been for two years at Blue Jean when we used to go to, Ken go to Kenya. And I never went, and I never had any desire to go. My church in, uh, in Boston, they every year would take a mission trip to Honduras. Shout out, Matt. Amen. And I never had a desire to go and never went. But y'all, once I read this memoir, the seed was planted in my heart. I couldn't go last summer because I was moving down here. Couldn't go during the school year because you know how it is. Am I wrong? Okay, Amen. And so I knew that this summer was my opportunity to go. But I wanted to go where God wanted me to go. And so I was seeking him and saying, I renewed my passport as an act of faith. And then I said, God, you show me where you want me to go with it. One Saturday night in October, November, I was here at the church praying and I was at the altar. And while I was praying, I had my eyes closed. And 
Josh, are we ready to roll? Okay. And I got a vision. My vision, would you have to make a full screen for me, J-Man? Amen. Y'all, when I was right here praying at the altar, this is the vision that I received. I received a vision of a series of islands on a specific area of a map. And for those of you who like kind of hearing about the crazy intricacies of how personal the Holy Spirit can be, the specific, this is the exact picture I saw in my mind because the Holy Spirit knew what would be comfortable for me. It was literally the exact picture from a game I had played with my family every summer, all summer long growing up, which was a board game called Risk. God literally used that example and took that picture that was ingrained in my memory somehow and revealed that to me. Now, y'all, this is... Oh, snap. Y'all, I'm not like Josh. I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not good at tech. Okay, amen. Okay. Y'all, right, Indonesia is right there. We are there. Okay? Now, I told God, I said, I opened my eyes and I said, God, I somehow know that, that was the, the, those were the islands of Indonesia. Crazy in the first place. I couldn't believe I recognized it. I couldn't believe he said it. But I said, God, it's the other side of the world. And it's in Asia. I've never had any desire to go to Asia in my life. I don't know a single person in Asia. I don't know anyone in Indonesia. I don't know anyone that's ever been to Indonesia. I said, if this is from you, it's crazy. And I'm going to need radical confirmation. Won't he do it sometimes, though? Lord have mercy. So a couple of weeks later, I was preparing a lesson for my students. The word Indonesia was in the middle of the textbook in huge block letters. And it said that Indonesia is the most predominantly Muslim country in the entire world. Well, for me, who has a heart for evangelism, that sounded like a why. So I felt like I had my where and I had my why, but I didn't know my how. I went to um, one of the uh, IMJ meetings and Dr. Kim called me up front and prophesied over me at the meeting. This is in April. When he did it, he prophesied the same thing over me that three traveling prophets from three other continents, from two other continents, he's the third one from the third different continent, called me up out of an audience and gave me the same prophetic word. And it stirred something up in me. I went to a conference in, I'm trying to give you the quick, the quick hits here. Went to a conference in Atlanta thinking that somebody would lay hands on me. It was a He's a, he's a traveling evangelist and who explores the whole world. Usually he preaches to about a million people, but this was only 200 people at this thing. I thought he was going to stand up at this thing and say, your name is Colin and you're called to Indonesia. Talk to Steve. That didn't happen, but when I got home, I was with two friends from Boston and I told them about this vision, told them about the story. This is in April, so not long ago, and said, I don't know what to do with this, but I feel like it's from God. And my buddy's wife said, Colin, don't you realize that our church in Boston supports one overseas missionary? Anybody want to guess where they're stationed? This is the Fuentes family. Y'all, they're from New York. They're from Queens. Don't worry, we got along even though they're from, from New York. They're from Queens, and they've been in Indonesia now for seven years. And my, the bishop in Boston connected me with them. I met them on Zoom, or met Pastor Jason there in the middle on Zoom. And he said at the end of that conversation, he said, Dude, I believe that this is from God. If you want to come, you can come, you can stay with my family, we'll give you a key to the house, and you can stay for a week. 
I was still a little freaked out. When I went to look at tickets, all the prices were way more than I'd be willing to pay, except for one that was half the price at the exact time I needed to go. <laughs> but can I tell you a secret? I was still scared. I'd never met any of these people. I had never been on a plane. I mean, Lord have mercy. I don't know how y'all do it. 15 hours flying from Atlanta to Seoul, South Korea. 15 hours. I had never been on a flight for more than seven in my life. I was so scared. The night before I left, I had no idea what the week would look like, nothing. The, week, uh, the night before I left, I was staying with my two friends that had given me the word about the connection. They live in Atlanta. <clears throat> and the next morning, I was doing fine that night. The next morning, I have not been so scared maybe ever in my entire life. They started driving me to the airport, and I literally had to cover my eyes so that I would be able to deceive myself and not knowing where I was going. I made the mistake at one point of looking up, and I saw a green sign on the right that said, right lanes Montgomery, and a, green, a sign green on the left that said, left lanes International Airport. And I knew which way I wanted to go. I wanted to come here. I wanted to come back. Because it was inconvenient, bless you, Mel, it was inconvenient for me to go. I didn't know anybody. It was a, on literally, it's a 12-hour time zone difference from Atlanta. That means that Shelby told me the math is that every time zone you shift is a day of recovery of jet lag. I, I changed time zone 14 times. One going to Atlanta, 12 going to Indonesia, 12 back to Atlanta, and then one back to Selma. That means that theoretically I'll recover sometime in the middle of the first nine weeks at school. So I know you can't see it in my face, though. Amen. Right? Okay. And I got on the airplane, and I didn't know what to expect. I started freaking out. I started getting all my little stuff. I got in, and it was like I was, like, preparing my house. I, like, put my little pillow here, that thing. Everyone was looking at me like I was crazy. When I got to Incheon, when I got to Seoul, South Korea, I saw this sign in the bathroom, which was the first sign, the first demonstration that I was going to a land I had never been to before. Now, I'm sorry, uh, Josh, if this triggers, you know, memories from India or anything, I'm sorry, okay? But that was my first sign that I was like, I have never been anywhere like this in my entire life. That became more so in the first couple of days when I walked around town and saw stuff like this. Now, I don't know if you can see, but the island that I was on was called, of all places in the world, it ended up that of all the 17,000 islands of Indonesia, it ends up that the Fuentes family moved two years ago to one called Bali, which is one of the most sought-after tourist destinations in the whole world. And so as I walked around that area, Bali, even though Indonesia is over 90% identify as Muslim, Bali is 90% Hindu. And that means that stuff like this, which, by the way, you can see right here, a statue of their gods, i.e., what does that look like? Anybody see? It looks like a demon. Amen. They burn incense to their gods right there in this pillar. They burn incense to it right there, and they do it three times a day. Part of it is to ward off demons. They try to appease the demons so that they won't come. And part of it is to appease their gods. It was absolutely terrifying for me. I'd never been in an area that wasn't predominantly Christian. And I found myself here. <clears throat> and some other interesting stuff, too. This is, this is a picture of uh, one day we, I went and visited a, a house church. I, I was a, bleeding, a, a meeting for new believers. And what you can see is at this meeting, there were three new believers and I got to hear their stories and pray with them. The woman right here who's next to me, she gave her life to Jesus. She was Hindu, lived in Bali. She gave her life to Jesus um, about a year ago and got baptized. When she did, her family disowned her, told her that she was dead to them, and cut her out of their inheritance. And stories like that are, are extremely common in Bali. And when she was speaking... The Holy Spirit dropped a verse in my heart 
And I was able to give this word to her. It was an amazing experience. But there's one that I really want to tell you about, which is the big, I think that's, yeah. The big event for us was on Saturday. We had a medical outreach in the morning. It's illegal to evangelize, so you can't go knock on doors and, like you can in Honduras and minister to people. So instead, we had a medical outreach where we treated 77 people, actual doctors treated 77 people for free in the community. While they were doing it, we were able to float and, sh and pray with them and share the gospel with them in that area, in that space. We saw deliverance. We saw a miracle. We saw healings. We saw all kinds of stuff. It was very cool. It was amazing. We did that for, from 6.30 to 3.30, and then everybody went home because we were all so tired except for me and one other guy, who's this guy right here, Roy. Roy, by the way, gave his life to Jesus uh, in January and got baptized. He's the eldest son of a Muslim family that was, and he's the son of the eldest son of the prior generation. And their lineage, they trace all the way back to Muhammad, their prophet. And he gave his life to Jesus, isn't that amazing? And he was my wingman, he was my armor bearer for this event. They told me that I was going to be preaching at a youth conference on the Saturday night. Now, I imagined that I would show up, and there would be 10, 10 kids, and I would minister on a porch outside. Y'all, we showed up, and the, car, the guy who was driving us dropped us off. A woman with an earpiece came in and greeted us at the car and was like, Pastor, it's so, it's so good to have you here. We're so glad. Come with us brand new church building, and I realized I was completely out of place. Went in, and they brought me into the pastor's office, brought me all kinds of little breads and stuff. I was like, this is, I'm not used to this. I said, please give me one minute. I need to go to the bathroom. I went in the bathroom, and I prayed like I have never prayed before because I realized I was completely unprepared for this event. Thankfully, I brought a spare shirt so that I wasn't, didn't have sweat literally pouring through pouring through my shirt, and I brought some deodorant. Amen. It'll come in handy. Hashtag. Okay. Amen. Anyways, so I go back in, and I go up to the sanctuary. The sanctuary was a, it was like, a, it was like I was at Church of the Highlands, David. It was all, no windows, smoke machines, lights. They had like the, the television cameras with a full team, and there were 100 people there. I thought I was going to be preaching to 10 little kids. It was 100 college students and high school students. I was in trouble. They start doing praise and worship, and I'm, getting, I'm dancing my face off and having so much fun. The Spirit of God is ripping through this place. These kids are dancing at the altar, and I'm dancing, and I'm like, man, this is great. I wonder who's going to preach. A guy comes up to me and says, Pastor, it's your, you got the mic. Praise and worship was still going on. I went up and I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. And I felt completely unprepared. I've never sang in the spirit in public before, Donna, but I did evidently on that, in, that, in that moment. What I'm here to tell you is this. I preached a short message. It was nothing special. I felt like it was not clear at all. But then I told them and I said, God didn't send me here to share a message with you. He sent me here to share with you what I have freely received, which is the Holy Spirit and the fire of God. And I, we did an altar call. A few people raised their hand for, to receive Jesus. And then I invited anyone up that wanted to receive an impartation of the Holy Spirit. About 20 people came up. I got back on the stage, prayed a prayer that was nothing special. And then I got my oil and started going down the aisle, the, back down the stage to go pray for them. Y'all, it was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. Because when I turned the corner, I realized that I didn't even need to go minister to these people. These kids were crying out and shrieking and shaking under the power of God without me even doing anything. I laid hands on the first one. She fell to the ground. Went over to a couple other ones, and it was one of the... It's one thing to see it. It's another to experience. I've fallen out hardcore and stuff, and I could tell those stories. But, y'all, I laid hands on one of these young men. And he literally, it was like he put his, put his hand in an electrical socket. He had a small seizure, like, and then he straightened up like this. And then he just fell backwards like a plank. And there was a glass table right behind him. 
And he literally would have just smashed right through this glass table, except Roy caught him. Y'all, it was, it was an amazing move of the Spirit, powerful move of the Spirit. But the coolest part was this. When, we went, when I went to go minister to one of the young women at the, at the altar, we sensed that something deep was going on inside of her and that she needed deeper ministry. I went up to her and I got down on my knees and I held her hands. And I said, we sense that something deeper is going on with you. What is it? And she said, I don't understand or speak English. Y'all, I didn't find out till afterwards. They had asked me not to use an interpreter. I found out afterwards that the majority of the people there had not understood a word that I had said. Which at first I felt bad about. I was like, you know, I thought, I, I thought it was because of me. Y'all, the Holy Spirit moved in that place without even being able to speak a word that they understood. One girl came up afterwards and spoke through an interpreter and said, I heard, I have no idea what you said, but I heard power in your words. Y'all, it was such an amazing blessing for me and for them. And if you want evidence that it had nothing to do with the words that I spoke and, or the, the eloquence of those words, it's because no one, they didn't understand what I was saying. Why was that possible? Because when it looked inconvenient, I had gotten on a plane and flown. That's the only reason. Hello, that's the only reason. What I'm trying to tell you here is that when we see something happen, when God moves in our lives and we say, we're going to wait for something more convenient, we miss out on an amazing blessing that God has for us. But when God tells us to do something, and there's that little voice in our flesh that says, it's inconvenient. I'm here to tell you this morning that it is not inconvenient if God tells you to do it. It might seem inconvenient in our minds and in our flesh, but if God is telling us to do something, it is because it is his timing, it's perfect, and his timing, his ways are far above our own. That's what I'm here to tell you this morning. And Jesus embodied this, as he does in all things. He set the tone for us in this. Do you think that he went to the garden in Gethsemane and said, God, this is convenient time and a convenient place for me to go through. This is a convenient experience. No, he said, if you are willing, take this cup of suffering from me. But not my will, thy will be done. Jesus, it wasn't, incon it wasn't convenient for him to go up on Calvary and, and die for us on the cross. But he did it. And look at what happened because of what he did. And so I'm here to tell each and every one of us the word that God spoke to me, which is we need to stop thinking about what's convenient for us and start thinking about what's convenient for God. Because if God tells us to do something, we need to go do it. And if we do, we'll go do something like talk to someone and they don't understand English, and God delivers something to them. Nothing restricts God, but when we walk in that radical obedience, that's what we experience and what we feel and what we see. Ricky, would you mind coming back? Thank you, brother. And so, y'all, I'm wondering, I had to deal with this question in my heart. I'm wondering if God has been revealed, the Holy Spirit, while I've been talking, has been revealing things to you about areas or times in your life when you obeyed God when it seemed inconvenient, or times when you used inconvenience as an excuse not to do something that God gave you. I told you, in my life, there are examples positive and negative of this. But I don't want to miss a single opportunity or a single moment going forward. And I wonder if the Holy Spirit's been stirring folks in this room up or folks online about things that you have been saying, it's not convenient timing. It's not a convenient opportunity for me to obey God. Let me tell you something. There is never an inconvenient time to obey God. Can somebody say amen? There is never an inconvenient time. 
If God tells you to do it, it's always convenient. And he'll work miracles. He'll see all kinds of radical blessings, moves of God. You'll see crazy stuff happen in your life and break out in your life. Like never before. And so God, right now we come to you. We thank you for your presence here. And God, we just start by just saying that Lord, you are so good. You are so worthy to be followed. And God, you never tell us to do anything that would harm us. You tell us and send us forth because your plans are to prosper us. And so we thank you for that, God, right now. And Lord, we just come to you and we recognize, Lord, that there have been times where we have not obeyed you because we felt like it was inconvenient for us. And right now we repent of that, God. We apologize and we say, God, that at this moment we want to shift our direction. We want to be people of radical faith and radical obedience who God, when it seems inconvenient to us, will say, God, it seems inconvenient to us, but we'll follow you. And right now, we just as a congregation, we shift in that direction. And God, we thank you for all the things you've called for us to do, all the amazing things that you've called for us to do. And right now we say, Lord, we declare in your presence in the name of Jesus Christ that we want to follow you. We don't care where you send us, God. Who you tell us to go talk to, what you tell us to do, we don't care, God. Send us, Lord. Right now, we not only repent, but we stand here and say, Lord, that we declare we are with you and we shall obey you because you are a God worthy of it. And we know that you do it because you love us. And y'all, I can't get over the fact that, that Felix had, had his, his window. Felix had his moment where in that moment, the light of the gospel was revealed to him. When the blinds opened and the curtain was removed for that moment, when he realized that Jesus was real and that the Bible is true. And y'all, if, if eyes can be closed and heads bowed, if there's somebody in this place who this is your moment, don't miss it. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, don't miss your opportunity. It's a decision that will change your life that has eternal consequences. And so, we don't, we're not going to make you come up front or do anything like that. But right now, with every eye closed and head bowed, if you will raise your hand and acknowledge to Jesus that you want to receive him and welcome him into your heart, do that right now and don't miss your opportunity. Don't wait for a more convenient time. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for your presence in this place, Jesus. We thank you for your presence in this place. Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. There you go, it's my Lord. Take a moment to remember who God is and who I am. There you go, it's my Lord.
Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We hope this message has equipped and inspired you to transform people, your community, and the world through the love and power of Jesus Christ. Whether you're from Selma or anywhere you're listening from, we'd love to hear from you. Visit us online at www.bluejeanselma.com.